Welcome to the Fierce Mothers podcast, where we help black and brown women find guidance and inspiration every week. We are so excited to have you listen in. I'm your host, Gochi Onyewu. On this episode of the Fierce Mothers podcast, I am sitting down with Debola Deji Kumi, who is affectionately known as DDK. DDK is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, ministry gift, public policy advisor, and transformational coach for visionary leaders. Through her work, coaching, consulting, and capacity building, DDK deploys her extraordinary gift of unlocking potential in people, institutions, and nations. She is the founder of Immerse Coaching Company, which is a professional coaching practice leading over 70,000 strong tech-driven global community of change makers living in over 100 countries. She's also the executive director at Ideation Hub Africa, a public policy and impact advisory firm. She is also president at Kingdom Leaders Global Alliance, which is a non-denominational Christian ministry. We talk about the phenomenon known as the future forward female and the five protocols or pillars that embody this future forward female. DDK breaks down the importance of who we are becoming along the journey as a critical indicator of wholesomeness. She also talks about the importance of resilience for the visionary to deal with the complex issues that face her. This was such a powerful discussion. I can't wait for you to hear it. And I would love to hear from you to hear your unique insights about what you listened to today. Hi, DDK. Thank you so much for joining. It's such an honor to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm well, and it's an absolute honor as well to share the moments with you. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm super excited. I've told the audience a little bit about you, but obviously I'd love to hear it from your own lips. So if you wouldn't mind just kicking it off, tell us about you, where were you born, what was childhood like growing up, things like that, just so we can get to know you a little bit better. I love it. <laughs> My name is Devola Dejikumi. Uh, friends and family call me DDK. It's just like an endearing representation of the things that matter to me, my brand, and then the DK in the DDK is my husband, whom I love very dearly. I am in my late 30s. I was born and raised in Lagos, Nigeria, in a strong Christian faith family. And over the years, over the course of growing up, I feel like one of the most striking things that have stayed with me is self-efficacy. I was raised to see myself, know myself, leverage myself as an asset. There was a keen focus on the giftings of each child or intentionally stoking your own fire and being your own person. And that's how I've, I've grown up. had my first degree at Obafemi Awolowo University and then I had a master's with PASGA, which is like a partnership between a policy foundation in the U.S. and some African universities. And then I am currently getting onto a doctorate in public policy and leadership. 
I am a wife and a mother of three children. And generally, I feel like I'm a happy soul. I'm a joyful soul. Yeah, yeah, I love it. A lot, a lot packed in there. And of course, the audience can probably tell you are a multifaceted, multi-influential leader. Could you talk to us briefly about your path to where you are now? How did you get here? What inspired you to focus on developing the next generation of African female visionaries and leaders? I love it. So to give a maybe an introduction or a context so that I'm able to explain what's led me on this path. As of today, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as of today, I I love to call myself a transformational catalyst. And at the center of my work across the organizations that I lead, I'm interested to unlock the potential of individuals, industries, institutions, and nations. I lead a public policy and social impact advisory firm and At the heart of our work is a lot of consulting work for policy decisions that are being made by African governments. I also lead a a professional coaching practice that has a 70,000 plus member community uh, across over 100 countries of the world. I'm an author of 24 books. I also lead a ministry uh, that started out being a ministry to women, but I sort of pivoted into serving kingdom leaders. And I know that I always get the question, how am I all these different things? And until maybe five years ago, to be honest, I didn't think that the path I was taking and the woman I was becoming was rather different from what was the norm. I thought everybody just lived focused on their aspirations, the change they want to create in the world. And yeah, whatever you believe creates a bridge between where you are and where you want to go you then get on that path and keep it moving. But I've found that in the course of last five years, uh, the greatest fascination, one of the greatest fascination that people have with me is that I'm multidimensional or uh, multi-influential, as I love to call it. And what has led me on that path? Three things. The first is how, how I was raised, the parenting that I received growing up. And I was raised to never take no for an answer. I was raised to to, to pursue whatever I believe in. I was raised to always explore and to never be bound by social scripts and stereotypes. So I've always lived my life from the point of view of prototypes, Mm -hmm. like who am I authentically at the center of my original design and how can I express my gifts to the world? So just imagine how boundless that kind of background of impact on your willingness to explore, to test waters, to try things out, and to just make a difference in your own way. The second significant thing that has led me on this path is the experiences I had while I was on campus as an undergraduate. I found my desire, commitment, passion, and calling to influence women to unlock their potential and live at their highest when I was in the university. I got into school as a 17-year-old girl, and I was just blown away by how much young ladies like myself didn't have uh, any sense of clarity about who they were, uh, their identity, or what they wanted to do with their lives. I just always found it so shocking, like, 
how? How are you 17 or 18 or 19 or 20? And you don't know anything about yourself. And I, I remember that I will just get into conversations in those earlier days with friends, acquaintances, and anybody who was going to bear the torture of listening to me for an hour or two. And I will go on and on about how you needed to find yourself, find your voice, enjoy your life, make a difference. And they used to call me the impact girl from my first day in the university because every conversation will have how you need to make an impact in the world. <laughs> but by the time I got to my third year, this one-on-one -on -one conversations had actually be become a movement. You won't even believe it. It had become a, a movement of thousands mm -hmm. of ladies who were now part of what we called Club Empower for mm -hmm. Impact. And by the time I was graduating, we had actually, re how do I put this? We had set up ideologies that still stay on that campus still today mm -hmm. in terms of how young ladies should look at themselves and their lives and their sense of purpose and meaning. Mm. So from, from graduating uh, from the university, it was clear to me that I, I carried such a burden for women. And I believed, and I still do, that women will birth the future mm. and they are custodians of possibilities in society and across spheres of influence. The third significant factor that has shaped the path I take now will be starting out starting out in consulting. Mm -hmm. So starting out my career in consulting after well, what we call uh, NYSC in Nigeria, mm -hmm. that was like a, a one-year retreat stint right after school before making a career decision. I was in the academia and I was a, a research assistant in the university. But the moment I got out of that program, I got into a HR consulting firm led by my mentor, who is actually now my mother, Bisola Lunge. Mm -hmm. I spent, uh, you know, a little over a year there, and then I transitioned into Philips Consulting. Mm -hmm. And in the years that I spent in consulting, I feel like the most powerful thing that happened to me was recognizing the power of creating a system around thought leadership. Mm -hmm. Even though they used consult rather differently in terms of cracking strategy for business performance and um, human capital management, ETC, I, I basically just took that framework of intelligentsia, of problem probing, a research-driven approach to creating solutions and crafting bridges between your vision and the outcomes you prefer I just took that entire consulting framework and I started to say to myself, how about I'm able to crack something that allows me to build a system for women and they could go through that system or that funnel and turn up on the other side or becoming who they really wanted to be. Mm. So those would be the most significant experiences that have shaped the path I've taken and the commitment I now have to empower the next generation of women to be all they can be and change the world in their own way. You talked about the three different areas or experiences, right, that kind of grew into what you are today or at least led to what you are today. But it sounds like, you know, people listening, that was already there. It wasn't something you're like, oh, experience one, experience two, experience three, let me now. It was there. And those experiences just developed or gave 
birth to what was already inside right and it's so interesting I believe that every like you I believe that everybody has that same of a treasure inside it just needs to find expression so I love that you called that out thank you for answering that you talk about the future forward female. I love it. So maybe you can define that for the audience, for people out there who may not know what that is. The whole conversation about the future forward female, which is my archetypical coinage for the visionary woman, and I'll define it a bit clearer, started off in 2019 and we were at the brink of the pandemic, but we didn't even know. But in 2019, I started to speak to my community of women. There must have been about maybe about 20,000 at the time, maybe 15 to 20,000 women who were part of our community accessing our content and courses. And I started to say that we were shifting uh, at the turn of this of the decade as we were hitting 2020 and women were going to be thrust into the front lines of generational impact of transformation and social change. And my quest and goal at the time was to to start to prepare women, especially of African descent, uh, because that mattered a lot to me, to become key stakeholders in transforming our continent and to shift from blame trading and victim orientation to start to see themselves as leaders who would have the uh, baton passed to them and who would be able to disrupt industry with their uh, industries, with their innovation prowess, who would be able to emerge as leaders and, you know, master their genius. I, I just started to really teach a lot about the turn of the decade and how a certain caliber of women will emerge. So I would say this all the time in 2019, I would say the future is female, but a certain kind of female. And so even though that particular phrase had always been beloved to women, when you say, oh, the future is female, and it's so aspirational, you you start to feel like I belong to the future and there's something I can do as well. There will be room made for me uh, to have a seat at the table. And I thought that uh, that coinage of the seat at the table was even problematic. Mm -hmm. So I would attack it in some of those conversations and I would be like, we even need women who build their own tables and who would sit around billion dollar funds targeted at agendas to fix uh, specific problem areas in society. And that was what I was doing in 2019. And because I started to say, even though the future is female, she's a certain kind of female. It then led onto the question, what kind of female would unlock the future? And that that is how we ultimately came up with the, uh, the, the coinage, the future forward female. And the future thought female is simply a woman. And I'm going to sort of try to describe her before I give a definition, describe in a few scenarios. She's a woman who doesn't care that she didn't come from a wealthy family, but is keen that a wealthy family will come from her. Mm-hmm. The future thought female is a visionary woman who is dancing to the tunes of a distant beats. And it means that she has a compelling image of a preferred future that is that she's willing to fight for and work for. And she's happy to give up on the problematic paradigms that have perpetuated problematic patterns and have prevented her true purpose from being on earth. So we'll say things like giving up on the weights of normalized nonsense, calling yourself out and saying, 
this is why I am where I am. Things are the way they are because I am the way I am. And so the, the future forward female is a woman who carries a compelling vision for a future possibility she is willing to fight for and birth not only for herself, but for the next generation. Mm. She will use the five cluster competencies that we have created, you see, based on a measure of evidence and research working with leading women. And she will go on that journey from self-governance onto mastery of genius, onto visionary excellence, onto innovation prowess, and onto legacy leadership. Mm -hmm. So we're saying that the future forward female is going to commit to um, growing the specific competencies that make her attractive to birth and build her own future. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. And just to clarify for the audience, a lot of people who are of African descent, but not in Africa, does that extend to them as well? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, in the course of this decade, mm. I do have my eyes on rallying women of African descent, but who live in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And there's so many of them who would always feel in their hearts, how can I really be a part of this Africa rising, but not knowing how. And yeah. I'm hoping we open up those bridges and linkages in the coming years. Fantastic. So what specific challenges then do you believe that African women face, whether in the diaspora or in Africa itself, in becoming the visionaries and leaders? And how do you address those challenges? Some of them may be built in, some of them may be environmental. I'd just love you to speak to that. I love it. I'm going to make an attempt to focus on the first three okay. and we see where the conversation leads us. But in the course of my work, uh, in the course of coaching, consulting, capacity building, and even ministry, mm -hmm. and when I think about my own life, my own journey as a young African woman, I feel like the first significant challenge that is in the path of a woman of African descent on her journey to becoming a visionary, becoming a leader, is really around self-leadership. It's everything around self-governance, identity framing, self-perception, and then harnessing who you are in the direction of where you want to go and who you want to be. So women, everyone, human beings are on a journey from who they are to who they are, i.e., who they are pragmatically today and who they are in potential form, but they have not unlocked. I feel like for women, even more than men, many times we're unable to transition quickly out of societal expectations, the painful experiences we might have had. And, and you know, if an African woman, especially if she lives on the continent and was raised in the patriarchal culture of, of, the, of the continent, She's likely to have had experiences that were deeply hurt, were invalidating, or made her question identity. So I find that women of African descent often don't know how to make that transition from the challenges they face, the pain they've been through, and even the pressure and the expectations of society. And transition out of all of that into who they truly are in terms of a healthy, solid, efficacious identity that empowers them to unlock their inner powers. Mm. So this challenge is internal 
and it's with you all your life. In fact, you never fully, it's not a destination. You don't wake up one morning, you see yourself the best way you can. You are not held back by you know, your any kind of paradigms. You, you, you never get to that place all of a sudden, mm. but you can keep transitioning into your higher self. Yeah. So I find there are many women who don't see themselves as good enough. There are many women who don't feel like they're qualified to step into leadership. There are many women who feel like they are frauds and continue to deal with imposter syndrome. But let me leave all of that aside. I want to highlight under self-governance, and that is still one. So I want to give the three subs under one that I feel like are the bigger constraints. The first is habituation. There are too many women who do not know how to create new systems and new habits in their lives that can help them unlock their possibilities and become who they want to be. Mm -hmm. Number two is relationships. There are many women who stay in drama and they acquire trauma that they had no business with in their lives just because they are sentimentally maintaining status quo with people who can serve the future they want to uh, they want to unlock and can walk with them into the tomorrow that they see. And then number three, there are women who who are not embracing very early enough. How do I describe that? The conditioning, the paradigm, the mindset of wealth. Mm. The average African woman, she has a pursuit, a desire for wealth, but I feel like the average African woman needs to strengthen her relationship uh, with wealth building mm -hmm. and the willingness to earn and to build prosperity for her own lineage for the generations after. Mm -hmm. And that will be all around that first key challenge that I find standing in the way of the future for female. And it's about self-efficacy, self-governance and self-mastery. Mm -hmm. uh, a second significant challenge that I find will be around the visionary lifestyle itself. Interestingly, women are great at envisioning at the level of just catching the imagery of where they want to go and becoming emotionally vested mm -hmm. in the idea of those possibilities. But the visionary process and the visionary lifestyle goes beyond envisioning. It goes beyond vision boarding, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, beyond just liking or being inspired by someone so much, you start to follow them so closely. Mm -hmm. It really goes on into the, what I call execution mastery. It, it really goes on into rolling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty mm -hmm. and converting that, that vision that you carry in your heart into masterpieces on the earth realm. Mm. I feel like women could get locked up in the envisioning process without sufficiently committing to the diligent rigor that mm. is required to be able to unlock the future that they see. Mm. And, and sometimes is connected to, again, not wanting to come across as too ambitious, mm. too driven. When you see a man pursuing his dreams and doing everything 
acceptably possible to get on the path of accomplishing that goal, whether it's with their business or career or ministry, you're going to look at that man and be like, oh, he's quite driven. He knows what he wants. He's a natural leader. Mm. Whereas if you think about, especially the in the context of entrepreneurship or careers, that woman is going to be perceived as beachy, yeah. as, you know, too driven, draconian. Why is she this hard on everyone? Mm. If she says no to and drives hard for excellence, that means she's lost her femininity mm. and she's unkind and not compassionate. And so, so many women are in this quagmire of wanting to pace forward and pursue their own vision and do great things, but they're still uh, constantly battling this pressure to appear a certain way, to appear ladylike and kind enough and compassionate enough. And you can be all that alongside pursuing your dreams. But many times women give up on going after their vision, going after their deepest aspirations and building the kind of life or business that they desire. And so we have to be schooled and upgraded in the expertise that is required to actually break free from the mold and systematically move in the direction of the future that we see and not back down, you see. The third that I see coming through a lot, and I feel like this one requires a lot of sagacity to, to, to really navigate. I feel like it's connected to the obligations that we have to family, to mm. friends, and if you're a person of faith, I dare say to church. Mm-hmm. In fact, <laughs> I know so many powerful women who, who have given up their power unconsciously simply because they, they misinterpreted or they equated their spirituality to their service within uh, maybe the four walls of a local assembly yeah. or a ministry. Yeah. And I know this is rather uncomfortable and likely controversial conversation to have because I am myself a pastor and a, a ministry gift. But I, I, I have had some tough conversations sometimes mm-hmm. with people where I said, look, to reinvent yourself and to build your life and to get out of the mess you're in, mm-hmm. one of my recommendations will be to back off from church leadership and ministry leadership. Yeah. Actually tend a resignation and take some time away. Mm-hmm. Women are overcommitted, overscheduled, overextended, mm-hmm. and they're living their lives for others. It's altruistic and it's, or it could feel very altruistic and it could feel very noble, but there are too many women in their 40s and 50s who now have so much regrets mm-hmm. for places they didn't go things they didn't do, a woman she didn't become, impact Mm. she didn't create, Mm. and a a life's work she did not set out on early Mm. simply because she was so overscheduled, overbooked out. Women in multiple WhatsApp groups, multiple committees, from children's schools to church to ministry to neighborhood, and then their commitments to many friends and their family their in-laws and it was on and on and on Mm. so i mean we always have all these multiple contexts of responsibilities and demands you be a mother a wife a daughter daughter daughter-in-law sister a friend a leader all of that 
but you have to just master the principles of priority yeah and you have to lean into the science of of your seasons to say in this phase of my life Mm. what should i be focusing on and what can i not take on at this time and then to to embrace the sagacity of saying when i can be present for some persons how can i send my kindness as a seed Mm. how can i send love and my generosity as a seed because you don't have to attend every party you Mm. don't have to attend a baby shower or you know and yeah Mm. and i know that yeah really we could we could stay here an entire day and just (laughs) execute it deeper but we don't get that chance in this podcast and i hope (laughs) we'll just be able to understand it from where they are and what they need to take from the inside I'm sharing. I'm not saying cut off, cut off family. I'm not saying be unkind. I'm not saying lose touch with the people who matter to you, but I'm saying really reckon with those who matter to you and be clear about that because everyone can matter to you at the same level and you can't matter to everyone at the same level or else you spread yourself so thin and you don't show up with power in your own life's calling. Absolutely. Uh, three to highlight. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And you know, as you were talking, I think that the two things that that came up, especially with the third challenge, (laughs) which which was what stuck struck me, because you hear obviously being a woman and talking to a lot of women, you hear the the recurring theme. And what struck me as you were talking, two things. One was boundaries and the second was saying no more than you say yes, right? Being very selective about what you spend your time on because you feel the guilt. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. The other thing I wanted to talk about, I think this was the second challenge. You talked about, it sounded like it was people leaning more into their femininity and saying, well, if I'm too, if I'm too driven, if I'm too ambitious, it, it comes across as not ladylike. I I almost wanted to think, to talk about, it's not necessarily the flip, but there are some women that I have encountered who are very driven, very ambitious, but they have more of the execution. They have down pat. They can go, they can execute, they see a goal. It's all they see, they go for it. But Mm. that can also have its challenges. It sounds like when you look at the five pillars of the future forward female, it has to be a well-rounded execution not just going for execution and going 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 there has to be a lot so maybe you can speak to that just a little bit that's so good actually thank you I feel like you've given me an opportunity for harmony and balance Mm. really good yes so in the midst of this conversation if anyone heard oh I just have to go for my goals and be my you know just execute and achieve my highest aspirations Maybe that will not be the most rounded sense mm-hmm. anyone should. The future forward female knows that she's a human being and not a human doing. Mm-hmm. It's always been before doing. Mm-hmm. And we even say that if a woman is lopsided and she is, I've got that whole map and it's it's really interesting. I've taught it for a number of years how there's this intersection between your radical evolution and your rapid execution. Mm. And that if you are not balancing out the being part of who you are and you just go, 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 get her always turned on, always getting this result. And, and your sense of success is connected to things and, and awards and rewards. You see, Mm -hmm. 
you're going to be lopsided on that radical evolution side. And a few things will start to happen that will highlight that to you. Number one, you would find that even in the presence of external success, you're still going to be bleeding. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a deep sense of dissatisfaction and unfulfillment, and you won't know where it's coming from because you're so suffering. And I do have women who would sit with me, whether in counseling or coaching, and they're high up there, C-suite leaders with multinationals, very honored as industry leaders, but they'll still say, I don't know what it is, DDK, but I just feel such an emptiness, Mm -hmm. such an emptiness, or I feel like I haven't paid attention to myself. You see, so you would find that a Mm -hmm. second big thing you would find is that your character flaws will continue to be more and more prominent. A key sign of growth that is rounded and healthy is that you keep working on yourself as you keep working on your goals, Mm. you see. Mm. So you you would find that your character is more wholesome, your heart is more steadfast, your your compassion is, is stronger. You know, you will find that you're becoming a better person on the path of changing the world because you're getting changed yourself, right? So we 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 find that when you're radical, you're rapidly executing, but you're not radically evolving, your character flaws will become more prominent. You'll be bleeding on other life areas. Mm-hmm. A third key thing you would find is there would be a growing sense of that imposter syndrome, that popular imposter syndrome. Yeah. You feel like a fraud. You yeah. find yourself often saying to yourself, if people really knew me, maybe they won't like me. Mm. And that is a painful place to be. It's a painful place to be. It's it it it, it, it leads to self-loathing, mm. and some women actually get there. Mm. So when you look at the future forward female blueprint, and it takes you from self-governance onto mastery of genius, onto visionary execution, innovation, prowess. Uh, and legacy leadership, some of the things you find shining through there with self-governance is an invitation to an authentic journey of growing who you are in the most private uh, sense of the word, mm. where you are committed to becoming and you don't need to shine the spotlight on it. You don't need anyone to commend, award or reward you for for sabbathing, for mm. having a life of intentional quietness, introspection. You don't need anyone to commend you for for, for private philanthropy mm-hmm. where you are reserving a portion of your earnings to do good work and to support the most vulnerable populations of the world. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, the future thought female, the truly visionary woman is one who doesn't think about the image of the future as merely a project to be executed or an initiative to be accomplished, mm. but a person to become. Yeah. It's vision. True vision is a call to your higher self. You mm. see mm. who you are, what's hard that you have to partner with him to manifest on the earth. I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it actually leads to another question. So there may be people in the audience, I'm sure there are, that are listening to this and they're like, DDK, this sounds amazing. I love that you talked about who you're becoming, not just what you're achieving, right? 
and they may be thinking, but you know, that, you know, life is so stressful. I have all these different things pulling at me. And even if I say no, there are some commitments that I have to commit to and be responsible for. So maybe you can talk to the audience about some effective ways that you manage stress as an executive and how you maintain balance. Okay. I love it. The first thing I want to share, I, I would, I'll keep it to three again, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to be punchy. <laughs> but the first thing I want to share might actually come across as, oh my God, this is still sounding hard. Uh, and, and the first thing that has impacted so significantly on my ability to stay centered, maintain harmony, um, not be constantly overwhelmed, overscheduled, and not be you know, just stressed out is increasing my inner resilience, increasing my inner strength. Mm. I think it was in 2018 that it dawned on me, and maybe this isn't for everyone, right? But maybe it's for some. It dawned on me that I'm actually a high value woman and I will be in high demand. Mm -hmm based on the unique calling that I've received from God and based on the context that my life's work is set, mm -hmm. Africa is a grueling context to work in. Mm -hmm. If you really want to make remarkable impact and you, you want to contribute in a way that makes a difference, especially for those who can help themselves, we are dealing with wicked problems on the continent. Mm -hmm. Wicked problems are problems that give birth to problems that give birth to problems and give birth to problems. Mm -hmm. So you're working on a po public policy advisory project. You go in thinking that this is a gender advocacy project. And when you start to unpack the, the core issues or what we call the critical crisis, you start to see that the crisis is not with an I, but with an E, mm -hmm. you know, and then you in that this isn't just gender advocacy. There's economic empowerment here. Uh, there are vulnerable children and orphans right in here. There is severe corruption across the political structure playing out here. You And you, you just have to see other things open up. So you, you get in, for example, into a school and you say to yourself, this is just a public, edu public primary or secondary education crisis. And the moment we are able to provide support, you know, get the backpack ready, the school books, and pay the offer the girl a scholarship and get her new uniforms, she's happy to be back in school. And that's how we want to tackle school dropout rates, right? But you get into school and you see that beyond putting a new uniform on the girl and getting her school books ready, paying for her education, she doesn't want to go to school because she's been raped. And wow. there's that under the radar or a home economics teacher is trying to sexually assault her. Mm. And she doesn't want to go back to school. Mm. So you start to find that you're confronted with a wicked problem. It's mm. winding, it's whirling, and it's, it's hydra-headed. It's many-sided. Mm. So 2018, I felt like I had a mental encounter where it became clear to me that my work is set in the context of a grueling difficulty and I'm empowered for it. I'm anointed for it. I can make it happen. Mm. But what it means that my life is going to look rather different from the, you know, I don't know, maybe the average woman. And from that point, I started to say to myself, 
that I will not despise my own unique journey. So yeah, it was the year I, it was, it became clear to me that I'm going to be in high demand. I'm high value. And there is such a high dimension of investment that God has put in, in me for my world, for my generation. Mm. Guess what? I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's something only me should be feeling. If you see what I mean, I feel like that's mm. how every person mm. should think about their own world no matter how unique your own context is yeah but from the point reckoning that i'm high value god has made high investments in me and i will be in high demand i determined that i will grow strong i will grow inner strength and resilience Mm -hmm. that i will not i will not allow myself to crack under the demands of pursuing my vision Mm -hmm. yeah so that's the first and Mm -hmm. inner resilience is primarily about three things the first is about your connection points to who you truly are in God. Mm-hmm. And you can only find person, uh, you know, through vital spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I can't miss the opportunity to tell you that spirituality is my highest value and it powers the way that I do everything I do. Mm-hmm. So inner resilience is built by your connection point to God, number one. Number two, it's built by choosing perspectives that honor and heal your soul. You're responsible for that. There are people who are aggravated simply because of their own paradigms. They're aggravated by their lives because they're constantly comparing themselves to other people. And yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's a, a second thing you have to fix and know that where I am, if it's not where I'm, where I'm meant to be, it's going to be a door opener for where I'm meant to be. Yeah. And yeah. there's no seizing that can't be a blessed seizing in your life. So that that's that's the second thing with inner resilience, and the third is growing your 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 mental capacity through research, through reading, you know, becoming generally stronger in your mind mm-hmm. through meditation, eating. So that's just my first big answer for how do I manage stress? How do I stay centered as an executive? How do I not get overwhelmed mm-hmm. uh, consistently? It's it's inner resilience. And your perception and paradigm is key as far as that is concerned. The second thing is that I operate uh, cycles of high performance and high recovery mm-hmm. every year. High performance and high recovery, actually every uh, quarter. Mm-hmm. So four times a year, I would get into each quarter of three months and I will ask myself, what are my highest priorities? You know, what are my targets and what would I achieve that will make me feel successful mm. across the different parts of my life? And then I will put in, I will shed in the work for how I'm going to go after those goals. And I will reserve between three and five weeks of every quarter to, to slow down on the pace. Mm. Now, this is my reality. And I know that there are so many career professionals who will be like, Didike, what are you even talking about? I can't walk that way. I'm constantly turned on. But what I say to career professionals, still using that model of um, high performance and high recovery cycles is to then infuse a sacrosanct day of each week that is untouchable. And what I say, what I'm about to say may sound, you know, a little brash, but what I say to career women is if you can't, infuse one day of a week that is sacrosanct and untouchable 
that allows you step back, rest, recover, reflect. You can't create one day that allows you to retreat or a part of a day that allows you to retreat. Then you're walking the wrong job. Yeah. 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 Because totally, I mean, you are going on an unsustainable pace and you are going to bleed. Yes. So it means you're giving up too much to be in that job, no matter mm. how high paying it is. Yes. Yes. So, and sometimes women don't ask because we are poor negotiators. Mm. And this is even by a lot of psychology research and even what business research is showing for how female professionals play in their careers compared to their male counterparts. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. always under this pressure of they already think we're not doing enough, so let's work hard. But no, if you're unable to design, and as you as you grow in your career, that by when you're hitting your middle level management or something, you should be able to negotiate better. And thankfully, we're now in a time where you can work from home. It's mostly hybrid for many organizations, fully remote for some. There's got to be a way to infuse rest consistently on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a way to infuse. So if you're going to do half days, you know, work half days uh, once a week so you can take the rest of the, of the time to be by yourself and to recover, you know, you, you're going to have to find that kind of system. A third thing I found extremely helpful, and that's where I'll close with not getting overwhelmed, managing stress and staying uh, centered is sort of leveraging the support of people, mm. having a support system that helps you go forward and helps you go further. Mm -hmm. And that starts with even domestic mm -hmm. uh, support, especially depending on what part of the world you live in, onto not only working with team members hired by your organization, but if you need to, you know, you, you better hire an executive assistant mm -hmm. for the other commitments and obligations that you have. And then really investing in training the people who work with you, who are closest to you, because as they get expanded in expertise, they take off some more burden. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, you have to fix your own uh, paradigm that makes you want to control all the outcomes and start to trust people more, delegate more and let go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those things would really help. That has been an awesome response. So as we start to wrap up DDK, and you know I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but is there anything that you would love to share with the audience that I haven't given you an opportunity to talk to? Maybe you can just speak to that. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I've had a good time today. And yes, I can talk to you for a long time as well. The My, my final thoughts today would really be around uh, self-compassion and forgiveness. Mm. There's so many women who are still emotionally invested and emotionally invested in their mistakes and their regrets and the opportunities that they lost or the steps they didn't take, the mm -hmm. people they didn't uh, every time, almost every time I get into a coaching conversation, this comes up and I just feel like I have a platform to say to so many women, but mm. the part I want to zoom in on in this moment is letting yourself go, making mm. peace with where you've been, the opportunities 
you didn't take. There are women who would say to me, DDK, I had a chance to get on my master's, to get on an MBA. I had a chance to pursue a PhD. Now I'm in my 40s and my life is so different. I don't even have those kind of resources. Mm. You cannot drive a car permanently looking at the rear mirror. Mm. So you have to just heal from the past and then ask the important question, what going to take to move forward and to create a bridge between where I am now, where I want to go. And remember we've said where you want to go isn't merely a house you want to live in, a project you want to execute mm-hmm. uh, or an organization you want to work in. Mm-hmm. Where you're headed is also a woman you want to become yeah. and a legacy you want to leave behind. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I remember when you have a mission, you don't need permission. So yeah. go ahead and make great things happen yes yes when you have a mission you don't need permission those are such wonderful words to end this fantastic conversation ddk thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy schedule to talk to us this has been awesome thank you my pleasure i had a truly good time you asked the best questions (laughs) thank you for listening to this episode What was your main takeaway from this episode? What did you like? What, in your opinion, are some ways that we could improve? I want to hear from you. You can reach me at ugochi at fiercemothers.com. To learn more about Fierce Mothers, please visit our website at fiercemothers.com and join our mailing list for our weekly newsletter. The newsletter provides powerful tips and inspiration for life. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Fierce Mothers. Follow me on LinkedIn at Ugochi Onyewu. We are building an engaged community of Fierce Mothers, so please tell your friends about the show. See you next week. Thank you. Thank you.